Welcome to Turning Insight and Inspiration podcast series. Hey guys, uh, it's Derek here. Today we have Jack. He just graduated uh, from chemical physics from Bristol University. And um, yeah, we'll be exploring his life story today. <laughs> so um, tell me a bit of about your background, where, where you went to school and things like that. So I've got a slightly different background to most people who are probably going to be studying in England in that although I am from an Anglo-Saxon family, my parents are Irish and I grew up with Irish culture. I grew up in France, so I went through the French education system uh, with the, the baccalauréat français, um, with the French bac, and that led me to have quite a different outlook on life to a lot of my colleagues that I was studying with whereas the English system with A-levels you choose a couple of subjects that you study in depth I think it's three that you choose is it yeah three or four in France you have at least 10 if not 12 compulsory subjects so you can only really brush over the top of the topics in comparison to what uh, someone studying A-levels will do but it does give you a much broader outlook on life and I think I probably had more general knowledge than than the people I was studying with, but they knew more initially about the chemical physics that we were studying. So how does like the conversion work uh, if you're studying in France to get into uh, in- an English university? So I was lucky because I did a specific type of the French back called the Option Internationale au Baccalauréat, which translates to International Option at the Baccalaureate. So I was in a school where all the subjects would be in French, apart from history, geography and English, would be doing them as if they were A-levels, and through English, therefore. Um, And that meant that a lot of my teachers had much more expertise in the English system for higher education than other people may have had in other schools. So we were pretty well set up to going to uh, England to do higher education. So how come um, you and your father or like, or your parent decided um, to pursue uh, higher education in England as opposed to like France? So a lot of my, all of my siblings, um, did higher education in England and enjoyed it. So that was a good first step. But additionally, I quite strongly dislike the way that uh, teaching is done in Eng- in France. Uh, it's very rigid. As I say, you only brush over the top of things. Even in higher education, if I'm studying physics, I'll still have philosophy classes. And that just doesn't appeal to me at all. I want to be studying something specific that I choose to study and not have extra classes on the side that I don't care about. Yeah, so was there, is there any reason why you chose chemical physics? So in France, again, um, chemistry and physics are taught as one subject, uh, chemistry, physics. Um, so I, I knew when I was at school that that was my favourite subject, but I didn't really know the difference too well where, where the separation between the chemistry and the physics came into play. Uh, so I thought, you know what, let's just carry on doing chemistry and physics, which led me down to find chemical physics. Oh, wow. 
what, what, what I'm comparing it to my A-levels, like chemistry and physics, there's a big difference. Mm, I realise that now. <laughs> <laughs> there's a massive difference. I realise that now, and um, I don't regret doing chemical physics at all, yeah. but I definitely consider myself a physicist rather than a chemist. Okay, yeah. Yeah, chemistry was harder, as I recall, than, than physics. When, when we were studying at uni physics was by far the harder of the two subjects yeah uh, there was probably a 10 to 15 percent average difference in your results in physics and in chemistry oh wow did you did you um get in in at university in england in bristol did you were some of your modules shared with the people who did physics on its own uh yeah so we we essentially there was a group of 20 of us uh, it's a very small course and we'd just go to chemistry lectures and to physics lectures. We had, depending on the year, we had between, we did between all of the chemistry course and all of the physics course for the first six months. And then it came down to about two thirds of the chemistry and two thirds of the physics. For example, we don't do organic chemistry, which is a godsend. We did have a lot of options throughout the first, like maybe year and a half of uni to like transfer just to do chemistry or just to do physics and some people did that and they got on and got their degree fine in just one of those subjects fair enough yeah so it was it, doing chemical physics also helped keep my options open a bit more what's it like being in a cohort of just like 20 people it was um quite a tight-knit group we were all uh helping each other quite a lot we'd all tag along to lectures together well there was like a group of about 15 of us who did and uh, it was quite nice. We'd mostly just spend time with each other inside and outside of lectures. Um, as the years progressed, we met other people outside and uh, that sort of core group devolved a bit and we split up and don't necessarily hang out too much together anymore. Yeah. But in the first year, it was definitely helpful to have that core group to, of people who were brand new to university to all in this together doing this weird course yeah 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 no something i had some a similar experience in aerospace in first year as well and then as the years progressed the group got too big and then we just kind of divulged mm. different people changed in different ways as the years progressed and yeah that's that's what happened can you go into some of the more into more detail about maybe some of your favorite modules within and some of the favorite subjects and things that you liked learning about uh, my favorite module of all the years that I did was definitely superconductivity and magnetism in my fourth year. That was an amazing module. We we learned all about how spins of elect of electrons and stuff pair together, which creates magnetism. Then they cause electrons to combine into Cooper pairs, which is what allows superconductivity. But throughout the years, I I enjoyed most of the of our of our lectures. In the first few years, I really enjoyed materials, and that's why I'm going into material science now. Um, just how crystals form and how morphology, so the, the shape of something and the size of something, can be as important as what elements that thing is made out of. Like, sure, sodium will react with water, but if you grind it up really small, it'll react more because there's more surface area. And if the crystals in a in a in a material are aligned in a certain way it'll be really strong in one direction but it might be brittle in the other so you have to manipulate these things to uh, get all the properties that you want into your material and i 
I find that fascinating. And that's really on the frontier between chemistry and physics, uh, which is chemical physics. And I, that's why I want to carry on doing chemical physics. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting, actually. Because, like, is it a case where um, people who do physics can't really explore that frontier? Or people who do just chemistry can't really explore that frontier? Or is it like you have to kind of have a combination of those two things to explore that particular frontier? When, so I think the, in first year the materials courses were done by chemists and in subsequent years they were done by physicists. So I think you'd only have access to a certain portion of them doing either physics or chemistry. You might be able to like ask for a special uh to be especially allowed to, to do it as an individual. But um, the way that they're taught by physicists and by chemists are very different. Uh, chemists tend to teach in a more tangible way with examples and stuff, whereas physicists teach a lot through proving things with mathematics. And doing both really allowed me to get sort of a sense of an overview of the topic and then really delve into the specifics of what makes it that way. Mm. And I think having this combined approach really helps me tackle problems. Interesting. Okay. Uh, what advice would you give to um, students of the ages between 15 to you know 18 or 19 uh, when they're picking their degree courses and um, which degree courses and also like what university what are, what are some of the thoughts that went through your mind when you chose yours so for me it was easier than most because there were only five places in England that did either chemical physics or some or like chemistry of molecular physics or some sort of combination of the two uh, so that set five for me um, and then I the main factor for which I chose Bristol over, say, Imperial or St. Andrews was the, the quality of life, I think, is as important, if, if not more important, than the quality of the education. Because there's not going to be much difference in how well you're taught in Bristol and how well you're taught in Imperial. And in five years, that that gap will have decreased even further when you're when you graduated and you've started working for a while and you really need to be able to actually enjoy where you're living as well bristol for me was a much more varied and eclectic university to say imperial where they purely focused on the sciences and particularly on physics whereas in bristol i i love science and i love academia but i have interests outside of that. There's a big music scene. There's lots of theatres. There's a lots of sports clubs. I think it's got the most student societies in yeah. in England. It's also a really nice city to live in. It's, it's a really nice city. Uh, it's not too big. It's not too small either. Everything is like in you know, walking distance. Yeah. And that that it was the quality of life that led me to choose Bristol. Okay. So how come uh, you're continuing on to do a PhD? I just fell in love with uh, chemical physics and materials in particular, as I was saying. So what I'm doing now, I was talking about crystals earlier. 
Now I'm going to look at how, if you spray a fine mist, um, how crystals form within that mist and how the humidity of the air changed that. And I, through, I, th I really think that if I only did physics or I only did chemistry, I might not want to be continuing on to do a PhD, but because I was able to get two different perspectives on many different things throughout my degree, it really showed me that there's not just one way of thinking about things and that there needs to be more people looking at problems in a more general way, attacking it from many directions. I think I can bring that to the table and that that's why I wanted to do a PhD. Yeah. But you, you didn't, when, when did you realize you wanted to do a PhD? When was that decision made? You, surely you didn't think you were going to do a PhD mm -hmm. in school? In school, no. In school, I was just seeing what course I wanted to do. And then in first year, I sort of, I was hearing a bit about PhDs. And I was like, oh, that might be something that I want to do. And in second year, I was like, okay, this really sounds something that seems quite interesting. I'm And I told myself that I'm going to try and get some work experience in labs and see if doing research in a real environment, essentially doing a mini PhD thing for two or three months, if that, if I'm still interested in doing a PhD after that, then I think it is probably something for me. So I, I got an internship one year in, in Denmark and one year just with one of my lecturers, a uh, material science guy. What's some of the advice you can give to actually get these internships so that you can make a more uh, informed decision about what you want to do in your life? I was really lucky with the Denmark one. Um, that's just connections. But honestly, most lecturers will have people uh, work for them over the summer. They, they might not necessarily have um, any funds, so they might not be able to pay you, but they're, they want people and students in particular they want uh they they just live for teaching and they want people to fall in love with science in the same way that they have so i think it's really important when you're in uni uh to actually your lecturers aren't some scary people they're just normal normal people who've got a bit more experience and you shouldn't be afraid of talking to them Definitely, when I started talking to my lecturers, I started doing a lot better in my courses and I started enjoying uh, my courses a lot more. And that's probably the same for you, talking to lecturers really helps, I guess. Um, yeah, um, I mean, I've got a mixed bag of uh, feelings about that. Um, I find some of the older lecturers, uh, when they explain things, they don't explain it in a clear and concise way. They mm. be, because they've got so much knowledge, they think you know other things and then you don't really... So sometimes, like, you just get more confused. Or actually, it is like, definitely the younger lecturers that I got oh, on yeah. better with. Yeah. And us. I mean, Simon Hall, who I did my internship with, is probably, like, I don't know, 45. So on the younger end and just a lot more open and yeah. a fun and person to be nice around. Well. Yeah. yeah, even, like, lecturers, you know, who are uh, teaching, if it's the younger ones, like, they actually teach in a way where you can actually understand and they understand how to use, say, PowerPoint. And they yeah. don't spend half an hour setting it up at the start of the lecture. Yeah, yeah. And also, they don't have this, like, ego built up around them mm. or this kind of, like, they mm. still, like, kind of like teaching. Mm. Uh, whereas, as you get older, I feel like they, they, don't, they don't like teaching anymore because they're just there to do research. So they, don't, so they don't put any, like, energy in. Like, you just sleep in their classes because 
it's, it's, it's like they don't want to be there. The students don't want to be there. It's, it's a bit, you know. But yeah, so I've got, I, th- I think for me, um, what I like is more is uh, asking people, having and developing a friend group of, you know, really smart people or even uh, just, or anyone really, uh, and just like working through problems together and not being afraid to ask, uh, ask people. And don't be afraid to ask people in year groups above either. That's, yeah. That helped me a lot with, uh, I'd, I'd be in the library really trying to do a thing and not know how and there'd be a, a third year, I'd be like, hi, can you, can you just teach me this? And they're, they're happy to, to help. Yeah. They've been in your position. Yeah. Ask people for help. At yeah. worst, they say no, and so what? Yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah. I had this one guy. Um, I used to ask for help. Uh, who was older than me? Um, it it was more so like, in each year, especially as years progress in airspace, like we have these big like design projects where we had like build wings or aircrafts, uh, and it's like a it's, it's just like you've got a big team involved, so. Um, yeah, I, I would ask this uh, older um, student, uh, you know, what's some of the things they need to look out for for these design projects that are worth a lot of uh, marks. Mm-hmm. And that was always a really good insight to have. Uh, really useful. I would actually su- um, really um, suggest that idea to you for yourself to do that. Okay, so what's what do you think is the future for you? Uh, so you'll be doing a PhD for four uh, years? Yeah, PhD uh, for four years. And then... I might take some time out to actually maybe work in industry for a bit. I doubt it, but I could. And I would easily be hired. They're looking for for newly graduated PhD students um, because they're so open to, to working and they still understand how to be flexible. But most likely I'd be a postdoc researcher, which means I would work under the supervision of um a a professor or a well-established doctor in the university but i would be myself in charge of a group of phd students and then you work your way up through the ranks so then you become a a lecturer for example and you have your own postdoc research assistant and then you get up to professor and stuff, and that's the line that I want to go down. So after my PhD, I would most likely maybe take a six months off and then become a postdoc researcher. Yeah. So in terms of some of the, uh, like I, I would assume you, you would, like big pharmaceutical companies would have like a lot of positions for these chemical physics yeah. graduates. Yeah, a lot of people go into pharmaceutical but not as many as you might think because we don't do organic chemistry and a lot of pharmaceuticals are based on organic products. Uh, We go a lot into material science, people who are working with superconductors a lot, so maybe at a fusion reactor project where uh, one of the current big challenges is getting magnets strong enough to hold the plasma in. You can use high temperature superconductors as electromagnets for that. Um, a lot of people go on to work sort of engineering jobs, engineering type jobs by uh, making composite materials or blending their expertise there, especially as a, sorry, I'm going to talk about crystals again, but, um, for example, uh, plane wings now are made out of one single crystal or can be, and you could work in there looking for 
new ways to make it better whilst the engineers figure out how to stick it onto the plane. Um, a lot of people go into financial banking. It, it's very open because you're when you're doing the chemical physics degree, you're proving as much that you know how to do chemistry and physics as you're proving that you're flexible, you can adapt, and you're, you're, you've you, got you know the, how to uh, learn. If basically, you're this, you've got this much, this uh, smart, like this much IQ, and also that you're you're hardworking, and this like a resume saying, yes, Bristol University has approved that this person uh, is of this intelligence and this hardworking. Mm. So if you were to employ this person, then he will be of value. Yeah, and I mean, be yeah. able to carry on learning as well. Yeah, which is what people want a lot because you need. The first couple of years on the job, you're just training to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, you know. I think what's some of the things you like to do um, outside of work at university? I in my free time. In in your free time, yeah. I I like sports a lot. Uh, I do, or I did before lockdown, a lot of uh, mixed martial arts, a lot of boxing, Muay Thai, wrestling, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, I play quite a lot of video games. I find that uh, some of them can be quite useful to develop your mind like strategy games and stuff um i read a lot i uh, i write yeah. so, so um is is there is it difficult to have that work-life balance for yourself it, it, within the degree um or is it just easy enough to find time to for all the things because i know for um aerospace engineering like if you don't put a focus on it, it is actually hard to find um, work-life balance. Uh, some students do much better than others. Your degree will probably be taking up at least fifty to sixty percent of your time, but I, as you were saying, there were a couple of girls on my on my course who spent their whole life working and didn't do anything else, and they they did really well in the degree, but they also don't have much social contact outside of it uh, I put a bit less emphasis on my degree than they did but I was able to participate actively in the rock society in the uh, sports societies that I mentioned yeah. um, I think it is important to f actively try to maintain a work-life balance because you can get swamped by work quite easily yeah. and you can let your light your social life take over and not succeed very well in your degree yeah. but if you if you keep an eye on it it's not too hard to to, to match the balance right, i think this is a great place to end and with that i'll see you in the next episode mm -hmm.